Hi, welcome to the Covenant Presbyterian Church podcast, a weekly broadcast of our Sunday sermon. Covenant Presbyterian Church is an open, affirming congregation, and we're so glad you found us. Our primary mission is to equip God's people to serve Christ in the world. In our weekly messages, we hope that you'll find inspiration, encouragement, and even challenge for your faith journey. Please listen with us now. So you may or may not know this, but John's Gospel, the passage that we read from today is from John's Gospel. You may or may not know this, but John is a different sort of Gospel. Out of the four accounts of Jesus' life, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, John's Gospel is the most divine. That means there's no baby born in Bethlehem in John's Gospel. There's no long list of ancestors on a family tree. Instead, the first words of the first chapter announcing the new thing of Jesus Christ say, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. That's pretty heady. And there are no parables in John's Gospel. You know parables. I really like them. Those down-home stories, sometimes kind of riddles. They're based on agrarian life, revealing the good news of the kingdom. It's in Luke or Mark that we get the lost sheep parable or the mustard seed parable, but not in John's Gospel. Instead of those subtle stories with wise comparisons, in John's Gospel there are pretty lengthy discourses and the I am statements. Also really cool, but definitely a different vibe. The I am statements are when Jesus says things like this. I am the door of the sheepfold. I am the good shepherd. I am the true vine. I am the bread of heaven. I am the way and the truth and the life. It's different. And the miracles in John are not quite the same. Maybe you know where I'm going with this, but the first miracle in the Gospel of John, turning water into wine, that's not in the other Gospels, as our Baptist friends like to point out. So we know there from the start that something different is happening in the Gospel of John. And for his last miracle, the final act of his on Holy Week, in the other Gospels, the writers focus on Jesus' cleansing of the temple, putting things in order. But in the Gospel of John, the last miracle is raising Lazarus from the dead. Instead of turning tables, Jesus is granting eternal life to a friend. We see that John's gospel, it's very divine. And even in the passage that we read for today, the feeding of the 5,000, it's a familiar story. It's actually found in all the gospels, but it is a little bit different in John. In fact, the story of the feeding, it's the only miracle story that is in all 
four. So there are, of course, some similarities. For example, all of the Gospels talk about the disciples' disbelief when they are confronted with the task of feeding thousands of people with only a few supplies. We can understand that. What is also interesting is that three out of the four accounts mention that the people sit down in green, grassy areas. How interesting that they are in comfort, they are enjoying beauty when they are waiting for this miraculous meal. Now, all of the Gospels, of course, emphasize that it is a feast that is prepared. After Jesus gives thanks and passes the food around, the writers all point to the abundance. They had as much as they wanted. They ate till they were satisfied. There were baskets of leftovers to be had. Now you see why this is a good passage for Thanksgiving week. All those leftovers. <laughs> so with so many similarities in this shared miracle story in all the Gospels, the differences really stand out. And the biggest change in the Gospel of John is in the source of the materials. In most of the Gospels, the origin of the food, it's not so clear. It's like it kind of appears magically in the disciples' baskets. The focus, then, is not on the origin of the food, but on the worry of the disciples, that they don't have more. But here, in John's Gospel, in this feast story, did you catch it? Do you remember? The materials made miraculous come from the hands of a little boy. In John's account, it is a child who shares what he has, a child through whom Christ feeds the thousands of people on the grass. So why does this matter? In this big, bold gospel of divine proclamation, how is a child wrapped up in the message of Jesus? Because children aren't really found in other places in the Gospel of John. Scholars point out that there isn't much talk about family. There's no sweet story in John's Gospel of Jesus welcoming the little children. There's also, in John, never, there's never a scene where Jesus holds up a child as the model of humble status necessary for us to enter the kingdom. Those well-known and beloved stories, they are in other Gospels, but they're not in John. There aren't even healings of young children, and there's no real references to established family units. So then, what do we make of a small child who inaugurates this amazing feast in the boldest gospel of all? Looking more closely at the text, we see 
something from the language, something from Scripture. Scripture says that Jesus takes the loaves from the child. It's not hostile or anything, but because the boy originally has the food, John's gospel is clear. It's very clear that Jesus gets hold of the material. Now, the Greek word used here, it's not an aggressive word. Jesus didn't seize or remove the food, which I think we are glad to hear that even in John's gospel, Jesus is still on the side of the vulnerable. He didn't steal the kid's lunch. But it's also not the verb that could have been used to showcase a more passive receiving from Jesus. There's another word that the gospel writer could have used to say the boy offered the loaves. This other word would have emphasized that Jesus received the food as a gift, but that's not the word chosen here. So what are we to do? When we look more closely, this Greek verb, took, Jesus takes the loaves, took the loaves, it means something else altogether. It's different from an unfair seizing or an open arms receiving. It's a soft verb. It looks not at the action it describes, but it points to what comes next. When Jesus took the loaves, the verb actually says he somehow got a hold of them. And that points to what Jesus does next. It points to what you do with what you somehow got. So let me explain further. This verb, it shows up in a couple other instances in the Gospel of John, and I think it makes more sense, or at least our understanding, helps our understanding of how Jesus took the loaves in this story. In two other places in the Gospel of John, we see this word choice for took. One of the times, it's when the woman anoints Jesus for burial with the oil. The Gospel writer says she took the oil. So somehow she gets hold of this costly perfume, and we know what she does next. She washes Jesus' feet and prepares him for burial. The verb is there, too, when Pilate took Jesus, and Pilate had him flogged. So somehow Pilate wound up with Jesus. We know this because Pilate tried to ship him off to Herod, and then he tried to send him out to the crowd. He really did not want the blood of Christ to be on his hands. But Pilate took him, pronounces the death sentence, and that verb shows us that somehow Pilate got a hold of Jesus, and then what happens next? Pilate had him flogged. So when we look at these two words, we see that these people somehow got a hold of Jesus' body, both the woman and Pilate, and one anoints with precious oil 
and the other orders so many lashes. So to take, it's not about how you get what you've got, but it's about what you do next. One of the last instances of this verb in the Gospel of John is also connected to, not necessarily in this case a boy, but a son. I'll read it for you. It's from John 19, verse 29. It's when Jesus is hanging on the cross. Jesus says, Meanwhile, standing near the cross of Jesus were his mother and his mother's sister Mary and Mary Magdalene. And when Jesus saw his mother and the disciple whom he loved standing beside her, he said to his mother, Woman, here is your son. And then he said to the disciple, Here is your mother. And from that hour, the disciple took her into his own home. Using this verb, the gospel writer says, it's not important how they got a hold of each other. It's what they do with what they've got in this newly ordered family of Christ. And that's why the boy in the story matters. Because we all know what Jesus does with what he got hold of. We all know that he turns these small loaves and fishes into a miraculous feast. And the boy reminds us that when Jesus is preparing that feast, that whole crowd somehow gets hold of each other. They become a family and they sit down in the great green grass to eat. Last Saturday, many of us in this room were at a session retreat. Thank you for your prayers. Uh, Justin asked if he wanted me to announce it. I said, sure. Ask them to pray for us because session actually has entered into uh, 40 days of prayer in line with a book called The Sailboat Church by Reverend Joan Gray. So we continue to covet your prayers. And at our recent retreat, we had a very robust discussion on the essential function of the church universal. Way to go, Session. I'm very impressed, if I do say so myself. And we also talked about our particular and our personal ties to covenant. And what filtered to the top for both of these discussions was that church matters, the church and this church, as a place of belonging. It's a home where you feel welcomed and encouraged and loved, where you sometimes fight, but you are welcome and you belong with whatever you bring to the table. One elder told me that a few years ago, under a different pastor, the group talked about alternative names for this congregation. So the prompt was something like, what might we call ourselves if covenant were to be renamed? What name would really communicate who we are? She said she came up with small church, big mission, love it, 
And a different elder remembered or called the theme of the cheers song and said, it's the church where everybody knows your name. Both ring true to me. Friends, brothers and sisters in Christ, we have somehow got hold of each other. And it doesn't matter how we got here, but what matters is what comes next. And as we approach the feast of Thanksgiving, we are reminded that in our lives, we belong to multiple types of families. We have our biological families, the ones we are born into. We have our chosen families, the ones that we create through choice and deep connection. And we have the family of faith, where we are united by our beliefs and our values and our faith in Christ. And it is within these diverse and these sometimes unconventional groups that we find ourselves intertwined with each other. Our families may be a motley crew composed of people from various professions, ages, stages, even political backgrounds. And what we do next is what matters. We find common ground. We find a space where love and understanding can flourish. We find ourselves on the good green grass that we might enjoy the feast that the Lord has prepared. So, Lord, the gospel, so friends, the Gospel of John reminds us this. One word choice tells us that it's not the circumstances that bring us together that truly matter, but rather how we choose to embrace and nurture those connections that we have in God. We have the power to create a sense of belonging and acceptance, and by the grace of God, we have the ability to love within our families, regardless of how we got there. In this life and in this world, we've somehow got a hold of each other. As brothers and sisters, as beloved siblings in Christ, we are an unlikely human family. But what matters is not how we got here. What matters is what we do with what we've somehow got. To God be the glory, time without end. Amen. Thanks for listening to the Covenant Presbyterian Church podcast. I invite you to visit our website, covpresatl.org. That's C-O-V-P-R-E-S-A-T-L.org. There you'll find current worship information, links to our live Sunday morning streaming service, and our full archive of recorded services. You'll also find out more about us and how to get in touch. I wish you well in these strange times. God is with us. Grace and peace to you.